Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the Doodle Curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. I'm here with Doug Martin, the president of Treat Planet. Their tagline is the best darn treats on the planet. Their brands include Etta Says, Hair of the Dog, Snicky Snacks, and Cosmos Snack Shack. I chose to reach out to Treat Planet primarily because of their Etta Says line. On doodlekisses.com, we have a group called The Food Group, and the Doodle Kisses member in charge of that group is super knowledgeable about pet food, ingredients, sourcing, and has a really good grasp of food issues. This group has created a regularly updated list of reputable dog food and dog treats. Etta Says was chosen because of its quality ingredients sourced in the USA. Turns out the rest of the Treat Planet lines also look excellent. What you listeners need to know is that we are here on a Sunday recording this, which I think is extra generous of Doug to get to do, given about how busy he is. So thanks for being a guest on the Doodle Kisses podcast, Doug. Oh, it was my pleasure. I look forward to talking to you and all your listeners. Awesome. So I always like to get started to find out about you and dogs. What is your history with dogs? I've had dogs ever since I was uh, you know, little growing up with dogs. Um, so, you know, they've always been a big part of my life. I had a couple year period after college when I didn't have a dog, which is probably not that unusual when you leave home, you'll get a job and it's just you as a single. And, uh, you know, and that was probably the only period of my life that I didn't have a dog. Then we got back started, uh, in the industry, um, I had one dog and now I have two dogs. So they're my buddies. They go to work with me every day and, uh, they're a big part of my life. Would you say there is one dog either now or in the past that was your heart dog, like the dog that meant the most to you and you just had a great connection with no i don't think that. i i've had a connection with all of my pets i mean even today i mean you know it's it's funny how different dogs can be you know and i have two and they each have totally different personalities and i each love them both for different reasons <laughs> and, you know and they're they're both uh, my buddies in different ways so it's just kind of fun uh, to feel that connection. And then just like normal kids, you see that they all develop their own personalities and do things differently. And, you know, it's a, it's easy to see why the world is crazy about their pets and why everybody looks at their pets as their kids. Right, right. So tell me about your two dogs now. What breeds are they? What's special about them? Um, they're both mutts. Cosmo, who's my uh, largest dog, he's about 95 pounds. He's a um, mutt that was actually... I don't know if people remember tornadoes and about about five years ago, we're hitting the Midwest and they hit St. Louis, which is pretty unusual and tore up our airport and our offices were close to the airport at the time. And uh, he was a puppy and running the streets and somebody found them and uh, brought him to us. And, uh, you know, we tried to find his owner. I mean, it was obvious he wasn't uh, more than a year old. He was just still kind of a puppy. We couldn't find his owner. And we posted signs everywhere. We talked to the, the post office of, of their carriers to see if they knew. And finally, we ended up just keeping him. And so everybody kind of said that, you know, he hit the jackpot. You know, he went from uh, being on the, in the streets as a stray to come into a dog treat company every day of his life. So, uh, yeah, he definitely, uh, has done well. And, you know, he, now he's our official tester and runs in and then comet my newest little puppy, who's not even a year old yet. Uh, I was at a trade show in Atlanta, Georgia, 
And uh, we were in the, we sell into the gift market, which is kind of an unusual market, but you know, areas where, you know, high end gifts and travel areas and stuff, people are looking for kind of high end treats to take home to their pets. So we were at what's called the gift mart in Atlanta, which are kind of like where every mall and every big uh, shop store will go. It's kind of like a mall for malls, which is really kind of wild. And we had a little booth set up there and there was one other pet company there. And together we went to the local humane society there and, and found dogs that were, you know, they were having problems to uh, get adopted. And there was this little puppy there and we brought him and we were going to adopt him out to people coming uh, to visit at our booth. And to be honest, I fell in love with him in about an hour and a half. And uh, so finally I'm like, all right, I'm just going to adopt him because uh, <laughs> he was he was too cute. So I had to figure out how to fly him home and get him a plane ticket and buy him uh, you know, a carrier and all that stuff from Atlanta and brought him home. And now he's been a big part of our life. Now both of them go to the office every day with me. You know, as soon as they hit the door, they go, everybody in our office knows, uh, uh, has a treat jar next to their desk. So they go from office to office all the way and they make their round every morning and get a treat from everybody in the office and then come back and hang out with me the rest of the day. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Is he a, is he a big dog too? He is a smaller dog, so he's only about thirty pounds. So he didn't get, but he is a he's a pit bull mix. Also, both of them are pit bull mixes. Mm -hmm. um, the big one's a pit bull mix, and I can't remember some large breed dog because he's a big dog. His head's like huge, and then my little one is a pit bull um, boxer mix. So he's kind of a goofy little mix. Yeah. Um, but uh, and he's not so big, but he's a lot of fun, and they they get along together. They're just like siblings. They run and play and fight with each other. And, <laughs> Uh, I think it's been good for my older dog to have a, a little puppy to keep him young again. Yeah, cool. So how did you end up in the pet food industry? Well, it was kind of, uh, you know, I used to own a cancer diagnostics company. So, you know, I used to, I built up a company in my, you know, previous life helping find out if people had cancer. So we controlled a lot of different consumables and instrumentation and stuff. Most likely if anyone's ever had a biopsy, something that I invented or had a patent on, um, has touched that biopsy by the time it came out of a person's body to the time a, a pathologist told them whether or not they had cancer or not. We controlled all of the consumables in that, that path. And so I sold that company off about uh, about 12 years ago and I uh, was looking for things to do and, you know, looking for industries that uh, I enjoyed and thought had a lot of potential. And, you know, we kind of bumped into the pet industry just out talking to people and looking at stuff. And I loved how passionate everybody was in the pet industry. And, you know, you could talk to anyone and, you know, first thing they do is pull out their phone and, you know, show you their dog or, the, or their cat, you know, it means something to them. And, uh, you know, we started looking at at the industry, went to our first big trade show, which was Global Pet Expo, and I was just amazed at the passion and and where the industry was going. So uh, we ended up buying, it says, just had three SKUs at the time, and we bought that company and, uh, you know, just started building it up for men. So uh, that was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and today we have 150 SKUs and four brands. So we've come a long way and get into the pet industry, but we've enjoyed every step of it. Uh, I have a business partner named Sherry Huber, so she is the other owner of the company. Uh, she worked for me in my cancer diagnostics company, and so uh, I asked her to come join me in this venture, and she uh, is an equity owner also and runs the operations side, and then I run the marketing sales and uh, the rest of the company uh, for my uh, customer facing, and uh, that's kind of how we've done. We've been very blessed and successful in growing the company to this point. Very cool. And you mentioned, I think I understand that you started with Etta Says, is that correct? 
That's the first yeah. line. Yeah, it says was based in Seattle, and it was a young gal who had started it. She just had three products, and she was actually probably very much ahead of her time. Today, freeze-dried treats are very common, and you can get them at every pet store across the country. Um, you know, when she started probably, you know, 14 years ago, she was probably one of the first to bring a freeze-dried single-ingredient treat to market. So she kind of was ahead of the curve a little bit. But she was small, and, uh, you know, she did her best to try to get the company going. And, you know, starting up a company is not an easy thing. And she finally realized that she wasn't going to be able to scale it and really do what she wanted. So she had a small um, little customer base. And we do, you know, in sales in one day, what she did in a year back then. But, uh, you know, she had built up a little customer base. And we decided, well, let's just play with this. And uh, we went out and purchased it from her. And it gave us just a, a quick, easy feel for what the industry was like. And then we decided to uh, invest a lot of capital in it and grow it. Mm-hmm. And did, did Treat Planet create any of the lines that came after Edisa's? Um, yeah, pretty much uh, all of the products after, you know, we, we created in consultation with our whole team and working with uh, people uh, that are strategic customers and asking them what they wanted. Uh, we usually find a concept of somebody and we'd bring them in to help. Like here, the dog was actually a little, another small company out of Chicago. Again, the guy had a great concept and really didn't know what to do with it, didn't know how to produce the products. And we liked his concept and we brought him in and he worked with us for a while. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, then we developed the whole hair of the dog line. Um, Snicky Snacks was actually a local, uh, St. Louis company here. Same kind of concept. You know, we like small little companies that, uh, are trying to figure out how to grow and they're very passionate. All of those since then, we've dramatically changed the products and the packaging, et cetera. But in the beginning, we kind of looked at, uh, you know, helping small companies and then integrating them into ours, uh, to grow some of our brands. Uh, like I say, since that point, we've pretty much done all the development ourselves and, you know, today we have a whole line of chews and jerky treats and, you know, formulas for organic and stuff that have come uh, from internal discussions and working with internal customers and experts as we move forward. Okay. I'm curious about the the different lines in this regard. So Etta says is sold, or it seems to be sold primarily in the high-end boutiques that have nothing from China, so to speak. Um, and then there's Cosmos Snack Shack that some of my members mentioned has been found in like gas stations and convenience stores. So totally different markets. Totally different markets. Is that just a, a difference in price point? Because it sounds like they are all sourced in the USA and all have equal quality ingredients. Yeah, to a point it is. Everything we do is 100% US. You know, our philosophy has always been a simple one. If I'm not willing to feed it to my two dogs, I'm not going to feed it to somebody else's dog. So we have always taken our own personal beliefs in what should be uh, inside of a product as far as ingredients and sourcing and quality control. And uh, we have this philosophy in our company. If anybody in the entire company is uncomfortable with anything that's going on in production, they have the right to shut the production lines down and, you know, halt us shipping product till we look at it. So quality is a big deal for us. The difference in the brands, as you bring up, is kind of an interesting. Um, we look at the markets, and, you know, we try to say, where are people going with their pets? And uh, Edda says is very much focused on the high-end, uh, you know, independent pet shop. So is here the dog and Snicky Snacks. Uh, they are, you know, focused on small independent pet stores who form a relationship with their customers and educate them on, you know, ingredient decks and a lot of the things that we're talking about here that are really important to them. So that's why we've always focused there. And as we got out and traveled and talked to our customers, you know, we constantly have our pets with us in the car and we're like, you know, there's, there's no healthy options as you're traveling, except for, you know, when you're run, running into a pet store and when you're 
out and about. You don't always have time to run to a pet store. You just want something quick and easy. And uh, so we started looking at the convenience market as, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I have my dogs in the truck with me every day. And so when I run and get myself a soda and a, and a snack stick, I kind of love to bring out some to the dogs. And we found a lot of people, what they were doing is buying unhealthy snack sticks or buying a hot dog and, you know, bring it back to their dog or they know their, their dog's going to be waiting for them when they come in at home. And we said, you know, there's a market here for the traveling consumer that wants a healthy treat that just is, you know, like a candy bar, just like we would get when we run into a convenience store. I want to run in and just grab something quick. So we developed Cosmos um, to go into convenience stores across the United States. We're in thousands and thousands of convenience stores now. And it's all things that are under $4. All of them are typically, you know, just single grab and go things like a candy bar. And uh, it's just kind of a different market and one that's growing dramatically. And, you know, as we all become more and more um, traveling with our pets and have them with us more often, uh, it, you know, people want that quick, easy option that's healthy. And that's kind of how Cosmos was born. I love that. I think it's brilliant. Well, one from the business side, but also it's you're kind of sneaking in healthy, safe treats to people who may not have even thought about it too, <laughs> even aside from yeah. the people looking, looking for specific um, quality. I'm curious um, about the Etta says products that contain rawhide. Your company says mm -hmm. that it's processed in some way that makes it safer than regular rawhide, but I know a lot of our members get concerned about rawhide, period. If they see rawhide in there, they just kind of avoid that line of Etta says. Um, so, I'm curious what you can tell me about the rawhide in your Edisez line. Absolutely. As I'd stated before, you know, I'm not going to put a product in the marketplace that I'm not willing to, to give my own dog. So we had some of the same concerns with the rawhide when we first started looking at the product category and looking at chews in general. And so we went out and started talking to people. What are the concerns with rawhide? Let's make sure we totally understand them. Again, we're not going to launch a product unless we can address them all. And the main concerns that you have with rawhide is one, a choking hazard. Dogs pull off a big piece, they swallow it, rawhide will expand. It'll expand either in the intestine or the throat and cause a choking hazard. That's probably the number one uh, negative of rawhide. The other uh, negatives of rawhide is exorbitant processing. You know, when you're making a big white bone, you know, you have to dye, you have to add a lot of chemicals to it, you have to bleach it to get it white. Um, you know, then they have to do something to make it really firm and hard like today's rawhides are. So they're adding more chemicals to actually create this firm uh, rawhide that we're used to. And then the last one is a lot of this rawhide, probably 80% of the rawhide in the U.S. comes in from overseas. And when it comes in from overseas, you have no idea where it's processed or what uh, controls they use. So we said, you know what, if we could develop a product that addressed those three things, but still gave us the high protein that rawhide uh, uh, has, you know, the good cost point so people can easily afford a nice chew and, uh, and gives us some higher end properties like nice proteins, which we traditionally do, we would have a good product. And that's kind of how our rawhide-based premium chews, which is just one line, we have many uh, chews that are non-rawhide also was developed. So first we take U.S.-based rawhide that has not been processed because we're not trying to make it white. It's only been processed to separate from the, the uh, hide and the hair off of it. And then that's it. We don't bleach it. We don't chemically uh, add additives to it to make it stiff. Any of the things that a lot of standard rawhide do. We grind that rawhide up. Um, we add a premium protein to it like duck, deer, rabbit, buffalo, elk, turkey. Uh, we mix it up and we physically extrude it. 
um, out in uh, into a long stick and then cut them up. So if you were to actually take one of our rawhide chews and stick it in a glass of water, it would break down and be at the bottom of the glass by the morning. Hmm. Um, so the whole idea is that the chew will break down. And unbeknownst to us, we actually were contacted uh, last year by the Vet Tech Association in the U- U.S. And they said, do you realize that we independently bought one of your chews and we tested it? And we loved the way it reacted. And so it's the only product with rawhide that we recommend to our veterinarians across the country. And they even asked us if we would come train their vet techs on it. So uh, we actually have the only rawhide product that's endorsed by the Vet Tech Association of the U.S. for veterinarians as a safe and healthy product for pets. That's cool. Thanks so much for explaining that to us. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, And we have a lot of non-rawhide chews, too, because there are some people, even when you explain that to them, they just still say, nope, I just want to stay away with them. We understand that. So we actually have options for everything. So we have two other lines of chews that don't have any rawhide in them at all. And we're always looking for new creative chews. I think we'll be launching some new chews again uh, at Global this coming year here in February. Um, So it's a a great category. People love to give their dogs chews, and they're looking for healthy options. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So it sounds like Treat Planet has never been tempted to go cheaper and farm out ingredients overseas <laughs> like you're you're sticking to your to your ethics yes absolutely um and we really you know take a lot of pride in that we can do a lot of things a lot cheaper than we do um but that's really not what we're about we're about providing the best product and we're also really focused on how we support our community and today you know there's a lot of pet companies that are in it just for the money and, you know, and everything they do is driven by how they can increase their bottom line. I'm not going to say that we don't want to increase our bottom line because like every company we do. However, that's not our, our primary motivation. Um, one perfect example is actually we have a workshop of 40 disabled adults who do nothing but put the little cigar labels on all of our chews at Goodwill Workshop. And uh, we've had over 40 people fully employed for almost 10 years now. And we can do it cheaper bringing it in, but when you understand the impact you can have on a community and impact on these people's lives to have consistent quality work, um, it's amazing. And so it's something that's you know a big part of our, our culture and who we are. Um, we work with Goodwill Industries here in St. Louis, and uh, we have for a long time, and you go down and they're so excited to be able to show you how fast they can do our chews and show you the progress they're making and be able to use the different machines. And, you know, we talked to our employees and a lot of our customers about that. You know, disabled uh, workshops serve a, such a vital role in our communities, and they struggle to get consistent work. Uh, and um, if you think about if you, you know, we all kind of sometimes people complain about going to work, right? Oh, I got to go to work today, et cetera, et cetera. Well, imagine if you couldn't go to work. Yeah, think about what you do at your work. Do you have friends at work? Do you like socialize at work? Do you, do you feel good about what you accomplish? Imagine if all of a sudden you couldn't do any of those things. Well, that's what a lot of people who end up working with a disabled workshop sit in their lives, you know. And so this gives them a place to go to socialize, to, you know, have work, to have money, to buy little things that they want to buy for themselves. And so the impact that it has on the community in these people's lives is amazing. And so we've actually worked hard to make sure we always have enough products to keep those people full. There's actually a waiting list to get into our, our uh, workshop um, to do our choose. 
And it's just something, again, that we think is really important. So every time somebody buys one of our shoes with one of those bands, they're not only supporting our company, they're supporting over 40 adults who really appreciate that work and it makes a difference in their lives. Cool. That's, that's nice to know that you're providing that opportunity. I'm curious about the munch meter levels. How are those determined? Uh, is that Cosmo and Comet's job? And do you time them? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. We do. They actually do get timed a lot. So that's kind of funny you say that because a lot of times, anytime we're trying a new formula, we say, okay, get Common Cosmo here. We give them, we all get our stopwatches out and we do sit there and measure how long it takes them to do it. Um, we actually have a, a little hardness meter that's used in, uh, in metals uh, to actually test the hardness of a product. So we started using that when we did our munch meter. Uh, and then we started adding a uh, a subjective scale to it too, which was also just testing how long it takes for dogs to do it. Because, you know, just a product can be hard, but still not last real long because it just, you know, their teeth just break it and it's, it's chunky. And so it's kind of hard to get them to measure hardness into how long something lasts. So we kind of created this subjective scale to try to uh, have a little bit of scientific background into it, plus some subjective background. We combine them for a, a, a rating. And so our munch meter was kind of a concept, again, from just talking to our customers. I mean, many times customers come up to us and go, oh, I've got a dog who's got, uh, you know, bad teeth because he's really old and he's aging and I need a soft product. Or I've got a dog who's an aggressive chewer and I just need the hardest product available. So, you know, as you look at those different options, people are saying, what's harder things? So we said, well, let's just create a scale so people can look at our chews and know where they fit on the scale. And so that's how our munch meter got developed. We're constantly trying to find products uh, that fit in the scale. We still need to develop some harder products. You know, our hardest product today is not as hard as, say, a bully stick or something like that. Um, we still try to make them so they're easily digestible, which is the other, you know, it's a balance. You could have the hardest product in the world, but if they can't digest it, you know, and it ends up as a big chunk in their stomach, it's not going to be a good product either. So it's kind of a, a balance that we try to do as we're developing products with our munch meter. Oh, cool. I like that. I've been having a lot of fun doing these podcasts interviewing interesting people, learning along with you. I don't really want to stop. However, producing a podcast takes time and money. I'm willing to put in the time, but I don't have podcast production skills. And so we have to pay for a professional to put these podcasts together. This is where you come in. If you're getting anything out of listening to these podcasts, please consider supporting the Doodle Kisses podcast. If every single person who listened to at least one episode gave $1, we could cover the production of several episodes. If you gave $5, well, we'd be done fundraising for the year. Go check out our GoFundMe page. The link is in our show notes. Now back to the learning. Tell me a little bit, we, we discussed in advance, like some topics that we might talk about. And I know, um, you know, there's human grade guidelines for pet treats. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, we were the first in the industry to actually have human grade uh, products for, for pets and treats. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting change in, in law that's happened. And actually, we were kind of on the forefront and working on them. You know, everybody wants to treat their dog like their kid, which they should. And so, you know, as you think what's good for me, you know, a lot of times will apply that to your pet. And so people have always said, you know, I want to get something that's something good enough that I could eat that I would give it to my dog. First of all, not everything that we eat is safe for dogs. I think most people know that. Uh, so you can say something's human grade, but it doesn't mean it's necessarily safe for a dog. 
So, you know, the head, the, everything that had human grade has to go through, or everything that's got a safer pet has to go through an organization called AFCO. And AFCO is kind of like the regulatory body for pet treats. And then it started as regulatory body for feed, you know, as we were feeding cattle, et cetera, and wanted to make sure the feed was healthy so that our supply chain of food is healthy for all Americans. And that's kind of how AFCO started. And obviously, uh, pet foods started to fall in that as the pet industry grew and grew. And so now AFCO controls all of those guidelines. So they have to physically test every ingredient and make sure that it has no negative impacts on animals. And so they have an approved list of ingredients. And they're the ones that control all labels. On the other side, the FDA is who controls the words human grade. So what started happening is one of the first couple food brands went to the FDA and said, hey, we know we're a pet food, which is AFCO's responsibility, but we want to call it human grade. And so uh, they looked at it and they did do one of the first ones, which was Honest Kitchen. And uh, they had 100% human grade, and they granted that regulatory right to put the words 100% human grade on it. And then obviously other people started coming to them. And as you probably, everybody talks about the federal government got a lot on its plate at many times, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, we have a hard enough time regulating all the human foods out there. We don't want now every pet food in the industry to come to us and every dog treat to come to us because we'll be overwhelmed. So they went back to AFCO and said, tell you what, if you guys can figure out how to put regulations in place that mimic our human-grade regulations, we will allow you to control the words 100% human-grade in the pet world. And so AFCO formed an investigative body, and they put together guidelines, and uh, the chair was basically based here in Missouri. So we spent a lot of time talking with them behind the scenes on how those regulations were launching. And the day they voted to approve those regulations is the day we launched the first 100% human-grade dog treat. So human-grade means a couple things. One, it means every ingredient is tested via AFCO. Um, So we know that it's safe because, again, we just said not all human products are safe. It also means that we have an FDA certification on the facility and it meets all regulations of human grade. It also means that we've looked at how we transport the product. It looks at how how we store and ship the product. It looks at all of your manufacturing quality controls and it makes sure every component of that is 100% in human grade as far as the ingredients that go into it and all of the controls and regulatory around it. So we have several products that are 100% human grade today, and we're probably the leaders in that space and the tree world, and we continue to bring uh, new products out. And one of our lines is called shareables, which makes sense, right? You can eat one and your dog can eat them. You can shareable. Uh, share them, which is a lot of fun, and it's always fun. You know, your dogs are used to you know coming up when they see you eating anyway, right? So <laughs> it's great about uh, you know give you a piece and give them a piece. Our jerkies is one of our best shareable items. Um, we have a whole line of products that's like a, a Slim Jim. My dogs, as soon as they hear the wrapper, you know, pull apart. If you've ever pulled apart the a Slim Jim wrapper, you know, it like peels apart into two two layers. As soon as they hear that, they're on me because they know that those are, you know, are, are shareable products and they want their piece and I eat a lot of them. And so it's just kind of a fun whole product category. Yeah, that's really cool. I interviewed someone recently who runs a um, dog treat bakery, and mm-hmm. someone in her family had been getting product to give to a friend, and it turned out this woman was eating the dog treats because she liked them so much, and they were, you know, like pumpkin flavored and things like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, but I love that you have a shareable. That's really cool. I'm not a big jerky fan myself, but. I'd probably give it all to the dog. <laughs> yeah. We do actually have uh, uh, frosted cookies that are shareables too. So we oh, have yeah. multiple lines and we have a granola cluster that's really good. And it's a oh. shareable also. So if you don't like jerky, there's lots of other options for you out there. 
um, are really good. You know, the biggest issues usually we find is people will look at an ingredient deck for their dog, but they won't look at an ingredient deck for themselves, which is really kind of funny, but that's kind of the way our world works. So, you know, the things that we eat every day, we probably don't pay attention to. But as soon as I do those same things in a dog treat label, I'll get 100 emails and go, why did you do this? Why you put this in it? Why is this in it? You know, yeah. like, okay, so, so we have to be, you know, so sugars and, you know, spices and things that are probably common in human grade stuff mm-hmm. because you're trying to make it taste better are not always what people want in their pet treat. So like our jerkies don't have as spices and garlic and things in them and peppers, um, you know, so they're a little, little more bland, if you will. Although they still taste good, but we can't put all of the, you know, or even in our cookies, our sugars in them. No one wants to see sugar in a pet treat. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the differences between, uh, you know, human-grade dog treat and just a human-grade product. Uh, so we try to do a nice balance. So all of our products still taste good for the humans, but, you know, are healthy and meet all the, the uh, concerns that we get from pet parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can always buy some frosting for your cookie. <laughs> Give yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nutella, put some Nutella on top. That always makes everything yep. better for the person. Exactly. So what are some other legislative things happening in the pet industry right now? Well, there's a lot of neat stuff that's, that's trying to move through Congress right now. As a matter of fact, we just got back from D.C., my partner and I, we went out and did uh, a lobbying. The pet industry has a lobbying event once a year that people are open to attend. Um, it's called Pets on Capitol Hill. So we were up on Pets on Capitol Hill, and they actually have a neat night where legislators and their staff are allowed to bring their pets in. And, you know, the idea of the event is to try to elevate concepts that, you know, are important to pet parents through Congress. And, you know, there's lots of neat initiatives. Uh, one of them is uh, Pets in the Classroom. That's, that's looking for funding right now from a regulatory perspective. You know, we've had lots of studies now that show if you put a pet in a classroom, it changes the dynamic of that classroom. People a, have something they have to be responsible for. And they've done scientific studies to show that people start opening up, you know, socially when they can interact with an animal. And, you know, there's so much hostility in today's world. You know, I think anything we can do to try to create more positive environments as our kids grow up and uh, as we uh, age is a positive thing. So, you know, those are things that we have to educate Congress people on, on the benefits of pets in the classroom. You know, that's one thing that's going through uh, Congress right now. The other one is funding for disabled veterans to be able to have a service dog. Hmm. And there's actually three bills that are going through Congress right now, and they're getting ready to be consolidated. But, you know, the, the negative part right now is the VA can give you a, a service dog and the government can pay for it only if you have a mobility issue. In other words, you know, it needs to help guide me or I'm blind, et cetera. But we all know that, you know, if you come back with, uh, from service, you know, it's pretty traumatic. And when the benefits of post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, sufferers with a pet are, are really amazing. You know, when you see how these dogs are trained and somebody starts having a stress attack and the dog can sense that. I mean, I think everybody's been around your dog where you know your dog senses when you're upset or you're crying or et cetera. Dogs have this ability to be able to understand kind of what's going on with us. And the same thing with veterans who suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome. A dog can sense it and immediately start licking your hand and kind of break you out of that trance or stop in front and start barking at you and immediately kind of get your attention and, and get you to stop thinking about that. The impact that these dogs can have on veterans' lives is amazing. And there's no regulatory body right now that can help fund that. So there's a couple bills going through Congress right now to help fund that, which is pretty exciting. So call your congressman and get them to uh, try to support that. So, you know, that's one. The other one is import. 
Um, I was shocked myself at the number of dogs that are imported for profit from overseas, and they get thrown in the bottom of an airplane without any regulatory oversight and come in sick, and they can bring in diseases into the U.S., and we have a lot of pets here that would love to be adopted. Mm-hmm. So last thing we want to do is have pets be brought in for profit from overseas and flood our market more uh, without any controls on them. And at least at least put the controls on them and make sure that they're coming in healthy and coming in the way they should. And uh, that way we can try to adopt more people, more dogs out of our shelters. And to oh, me, that's what's important. That's really interesting to me because I've, I feel like I don't know enough about what's going on, but my gut instinct when I see lately a lot of dogs coming in from other countries that are, are quote unquote saved from um, the market, the meat market industry. Like I love that people are saving dogs, but I am bothered that they're that they're bringing them to the U.S. when the U.S. has so many dogs in need already. Um, yep. I wish that they would find a way to make changes and support those animals and people who love animals in those countries rather than just bring them over to the U.S. So I get the intent, but I'm really mixed on <laughs> on whether that's yeah. really a good thing for us here. <laughs> Yep, and there's, there's definitely pros and cons. And the other big negative is people will say, oh, we're rescuing these dogs, just like you you said, and bringing them in. And they're really not rescuing them. They're, they're bringing them from puppy mills over there. They're claiming, today you can't bring in a pet that's less than, I think it's 14 or like 13 months old. It has to it has to at least be, you know, through its puppy stage before you can import it. Uh-huh. Obviously, we know when you go to buy a puppy, that's where they make all their big money. So they just illegally put on the paperwork that this is an older dog, and then they're bringing in these dogs from puppy mills, and they're calling them rescues, and they're coming through our system. Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of lack of controls for things like that, and there's this profit motive out there that says if I can get a, you know, a five-month-old puppy here that's of a purebred, I'll get a lot of money for him, you know, like five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars mm-hmm. So it gives them lots of incentive to stick them in the bottom of a plane and try to, to ship them here. And so, you know, there needs to be more regulatory oversight into that. And so that's the other area that we were talking about from a pet perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would be a, probably a good idea <laughs> to make sure that we know what's happening in that area. I do have a friend who adopted a dog that was brought in from Korea along with I don't know if it was a litter or a bunch of dogs um, that was saved from the meat market. And, and it, I, you know, they're happy with the dog. It's, it's a big breed that I can't remember what it is, but one of those really big breeds that's Mastiff-like, but Mastiff-like. Um, uh-huh. But I just wonder, you know, like, why, <laughs> is there a way to help dogs in Korea and support the people in Korea who love dogs rather than importing them? Yeah. It's something that I'm very <laughs> mixed on. I hear your doggies. Yeah, barking at somebody out there for sure. <laughs> um, and then you mentioned that you're on the board of HABRI, or HABRI, which is Human Animal Bond yeah. Research Institute. Do you want to say a few words about that? Yeah, HABRI is an organization based in Washington, D.C., and their goal is a pretty simple one. It's to try to provide funding for scientific research that basically documents what we all know as a pet owner. So let me give you some simple examples. Uh, you know, when you come home at the end of the day, you know, you've had a stressful day and your dog greets you the first thing you come in. Do you feel less stressed? We do, right? We can't wait to see our dog. He makes us feel better when we walk in. We're having a bad day. Our dog's sitting in our lap and we're just petting him. You know, things actually are changing in our bodies scientifically. And if I can 
document that and improve that more, it allows us to be able to expand regulation funding for all kinds of different things, uh, like pets in the classroom, classroom like mm-hmm. um, being able to have uh, veterans with post-traumatic stress syndrome get a dog if we can scientifically prove the changes it has. So Hebrey is doing a really important function of really trying to scientifically prove the benefits that pets have on people's lives. For example, take a kid with autism. If we look at the scientific studies of putting a dog in a child's life with autism, we can see dramatic changes in the way he reacts to his world, the way he reacts to other humans, the way he learns, all from putting a dog in his life. So if we can scientifically document that, we may be able to now get more funding to help place pets with children with autism because we know it changes their lives. There's even studies that show that cancer victims um, will survive longer if they have a pet in their life. So we now have scientific proof showing that a dog will extend your life if you have cancer. So the more we can document those things, the more we can support the pet industry and getting pets in everybody's uh, houses. You know, I, I, I think, you know, as we look at the hostility in the world and things that are going on and, you know, people are always so stressed over everything. To me, that means we need more dogs in the world because dogs help reverse that. <laughs> you know, they just they make us feel better. They make us less on edge. You know, they give us a, a different focus a little bit. So all the scientific research that we can do that will help spur that on, um, even in communities, you know, if we have apartment complexes that don't allow dogs, but they have, so they have a high level of crime. Well, you'd be amazed if we allowed dogs, even though an apartment complex owner go, oh, they're going to tear up the the facility, and that's why we don't allow them. However, on the other hand, we've seen scientific drops and things like crime rates, et cetera. So those are the things that Habri does, which is really pretty neat. It helps um, create a body of research that people can tap into that shows how dogs impact our lives on an everyday basis and how they change things from diseases to stress. Um, et cetera. So it's kind of neat. Okay. So they, they find out all this information and their ultimate goal is to affect legislation or is it more just for the sake of having the knowledge? Both. So if they, they use it to impact legislation, uh, they use it to impact uh, communities and be able to educate people on communities. They use it in businesses to be able to educate the benefits of pets in, uh, in, a, in, a, in an environment at work, etc. So they try to create all of this body of knowledge so that they can then disperse it in different ways to help people understand how pets have a positive impact on our society, period. So it's, it's got a lot of different benefits for it. Okay. And so if anyone's curious to find out more details specifically about what they're about, you can go to habri.org. That's H-A-B-R-I dot O-R-G. And I'll put that in our show notes too. Yep. And there's two great videos, one called Prescription Dog and one called Prescription Cat. They are super funny. So if somebody wants to see a cool, fun video that also kind of explains, again, how dogs and cats impact our lives, I encourage everyone to go watch those videos. First of all, you're going to laugh, and then you'll instantly get kind of what we already know, but what Habri's trying to accomplish. Okay, cool. So you guys can research that if you're curious to find out more. Is there anything I haven't asked that you wish people asked you about Treat Planet? To me, you know, the pet world is a, is a great world because people are pretty passionate about what they're giving their dogs or their cats 
and you know they're looking at them at their as their kids, which I think again is phenomenal as we look at the impact it has on families and and environments and cities. Um, and so you know there's that real big social aspect of of buying products in the pet industry. And you know the thing I encourage people to better understand is if you're going to support a brand, know more about the brand. You know, know more about what it is that they believe in, not just from a product perspective, but as a company and what do they support. And uh, we, we see a lot more uh, consumers asking those questions now. And I think those are phenomenal questions, you know, because if you do that, you know, you're going to get a good product at the end of the day. And you also, you know, you want to feel good about what you're spending your money on. Not, not only do you want to feel good about, you know, buying the right thing for your dog, you want to feel good that that money is also, you know, supporting things that you believe in also. And so, you know, that's one thing we just encourage people to try to do more is just understand a little bit more about the companies that they're supporting with their dollars every day, because it does make a difference in our communities and our lives. And it does make a difference in the pet industry. Great. Thank you, Doug. And Doug is going to give us some treats to give away. And so if you listen to the very end, you'll find out how you can enter to win some Treat Planet treats. Absolutely. So we'll make sure everybody has some good things to share for your dog and also some just to give your dog. Awesome. Thank you, Doug, for being here and taking time out on your Sunday to speak with us. I appreciate it. No problem. I really enjoyed it. And if anybody has questions, feel free to reach out through our website. My email address is dlmartin at treatplanet.com. That's D-L-M-A-R-T-I-N at treatplanet.com. Happy to answer any questions we can about our brands or products. And uh, thank you very much for the time to be able to talk to you a little bit about who we are. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. As I mentioned, Treat Planet is going to be giving away one gift pack of dog treats to one lucky winner. To enter, you need to log on to doodlekisses.com, find the discussion called Treat Planet Giveaway, it's going to be linked in our show notes, and answer the following questions as a response to that discussion. One, what are the names of Doug's dogs? Two, which treat do you think your doodle is going to be most excited about? And three, what is one interesting thing you learned in this episode? If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, or want to give me feedback on the podcast, send an email to me at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, or Pocket Casts, or Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts, so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. Have a great week.